of love stories for five years when my own story became a subject of international interest. In January 2015, I published an essay in the New York Times Modern Love column about a 20-year-old psychological study designed to create romantic love in the laboratory using 36 increasingly intimate questions. I described my subsequent experience recreating the study with an acquaintance, who later became my boyfriend, one summer night. The editors gave the story a particularly compelling headline. To fall in love with anyone, do this. I felt nervous in the week before publication. I knew an article in the Times would mean a few thousand people reading about my three-month-old relationship. But the response was startling. The piece began circulating hours after it appeared online. Within weeks, it had been viewed millions of times. It was obvious that I'd offered something powerful, the idea that there might be a ready formula for falling in love. I didn't really start thinking about love stories until my parents split up nine years ago, when I was 26. As far as I knew, their marriage was happy. And then, suddenly, it wasn't. I began to wonder what I had missed. It occurred to me that my struggle to make sense of my parents' divorce was rooted in the story of how their romance had started, a story I had always loved. My parents met when my mom was in high school in a tiny Virginia coal mining town. She was a cheerleader, and she had to interview the new football coach, my dad, for the school newspaper. They quickly became friends and then began seeing each other in secret. Four years after that, they were married, along with my mom's sister and my dad's best friend, in a double wedding at the Baptist church. It was very American, very Appalachian, and, I always thought, the best love story I knew. When I was young, I told it to anyone who would listen. Divorce was the wrong ending, one I hadn't even considered possible. For so long, I thought of romantic love as a virtue, a moral triumph, a reward for people who made good life choices. But my parents' divorce suggested that there were no guarantees in love, not even for the best and most devoted among us, or those of us with the perfect story. Stories had shaped my hopes for love, but I could see that they were failing me. I decided to learn everything I could about love. I read articles on the neurochemistry of love, the psychology of romantic relationships, the economic history of marriage, and the sociological theories of storytelling. I rewatched the movies I'd loved when I was young, like Notting Hill and Dirty Dancing. I listened to pop songs and read sonnets. I interviewed my grandmother and my parents, surveyed my friends, and borrowed marriage and dating advice books from the library. For most of my life, I'd conceptualized love as something that happened to me. It isn't merely the stories we tell about love that encourage this attitude, but the very words themselves. In love, we fall. We are struck. We are crushed, we swoon, we burn with passion, 
Love makes us crazy or it makes us sick. Our hearts ache and then they break. I wondered if this was how love had to work or if I could take back some control. Science suggested that I could. Watching my piece go viral confirmed something I'd suspected for years. When it comes to love, we prefer the short version of the story. My modern love column had become an oversimplified romantic fable, suggesting there was an ideal way to experience love. It made love seem predictable, like a script you could follow. And because of this, I understand why people ask, whether in interviews or at dinner parties, if the man from the essay and I are still together, or whether we plan to get married or have kids. I don't blame them for asking. They want proof of love's script playing out in the real world.